Dave Pryor, welcome to the Reluctant Agilist. I'm here with Eric Tucker from Sustained Agility, and we're going to talk about common sense and agile. So, Eric, thank you for being here. Thanks, Dave. Good to be here. Uh, so, before we jump into the topic, would you mind sharing a little bit about your background with these fine people? Oh, uh, sure. So, I've been involved in agile in one way or another for better than a decade. Uh, I've spent time in every role: Scrum Master, Product Owner, and Developer. Also, Coach. And for the last four years, I've been almost four years, I've been a trainer. And uh, the reason I think I can train this stuff is because I've seen it work and uh, therefore feel like I can advocate for it with a clean conscience. <laughs> All right, cool. Um, and Eric's doing a talk on common sense and how, well, maybe would you mind explaining like where, where this comes from and what you're seeing that's making you feel like we need to talk about this? Yeah, thanks uh, for the for the chance. Um, it, the whole topic is driven by an incredible lack of common sense that I've seen in the marketplace, in the world of work, when it comes to adopting the agile mindset and the Scrum framework. It's a little bit scary how <clears throat> tightly, in many cases, leadership will cling to old values and beliefs. And I, you know, I haven't quite figured out all the motives for why. I know people are generally scared of change in the first place, but uh, there are so many things that are happening. I would call them anti-patterns in the world of work that are so against common sense. Yeah. So what I want to try to do is raise a little awareness, maybe to take away some of the sting and some of the fear from those who are resisting the change. Okay. I find that too. I find I get asked a lot of questions about stuff and I just, I want to be like, you know, if you weren't worried about whether or not you were doing scrum, what would the right thing to do be? And they would say, I'm like, well, just do that. People <laughs> get so hung up in following the framework or the process that they, they do dumb things. I had a guy in class once from Dallas. Um, we were talking about change and how affecting change and, and he was from management in his company. And he said, I just tell them to change. And I said, oh, oh, how's that working for you? You know, yeah. uh, and, and he says, it works great. And I said, okay, well, so do me a favor. Um, what football team do you like? And he says, the Dallas Cowboys. I said, okay, uh, I want you to now change to be a Patriots fan. How, how's that working? Are you going to be a Patriots fan now that I told you to change? And he's like, no. And I just sat back and said, uh, see any correlation? <laughs> like people don't <laughs> just change because you tell them to. Yeah. Well, I guess, I mean, if they were working a certain way and you told them to work differently, I can see where a manager might expect that they would just automatically do that. But it's sort of like you're expecting a certain amount of subservience from the people that work for you. I agree with that. But I think we have a generation of people now who are less prone to simply follow orders. They need to know why. Yeah. So I think it, being able to explain the why and show, show the tangible benefit of something not only gives you credibility as a person, but as a leader as well. Okay. So I, I want to just check on something. I'm assuming that with this whole topic, it's not that we're saying people who are following the process instead of using common sense are bad in any way. It's just that no. if you took a second and took a breath and were like, is that really what I want to do? Um, you would realize in some cases that maybe the action you're, you feel like you should take is counterintuitive yeah yeah and and this is specific there was for everything that i'm i'm just for the for the record i'm organizing a book called common sense scrum and, and it's all based on my experiences as a coach working in large and small companies and it's all from specific things that happen 
And with this, there's one that really jumps into my mind. There was um, an executive committee, three or four high-ranking high people in this company I was working in as a coach. And they were getting ready to start a brand new initiative, and they brought me in to sort of help them organize and, and get the teams lined up. And they were so insistent on having their teams organized as component teams. And for those who don't know, a component team is basically a team of people that all have the same exact skill set, right? So a team of Java coders is one team, and then maybe a team of testers would be another team. And they were very excited, in fact, about this idea that one team would build some component piece of the product and then pass it off to the next team and they do their part. And, you know, Scrum advocates for cross-functional teams where we take skills from a bunch of different areas and mash them together in one team so that they can work very quickly. Right. And they were, the leadership here was so resistant to it. And, and, and I've come to realize after a lot of thought that the reason that they were so resistant to it was because everyone on one team that has a bunch of uh, the same skill, let's say a bunch of Java coders, they all report to the same person. Mm -hmm. All seven members of that team have the same boss. So the reason why the boss was so clingy to that method was because the boss felt like they could control that team and control what they worked on. Whereas if you had a cross-functional team with several different skill sets, most of the time, all those people have different bosses in the command structure of a company. Sure. So no one boss could feel empowered to control that team. So the, the root cause there is I'm losing control, therefore I'm going to resist this. Well, and it would be harder for me to challenge, like if I'm a somebody from a development back, programming background and I have, I've got a designer on my team, I may not understand their work well enough to be confident in challenging them. Yeah, yeah. And what's, what's funny about that too is another relationship here in this same example, when I politely challenged leadership to think differently about this, uh, and and sort of give them that that cross functional dynamic, and of course also empower them to make their own choices about the how how things yeah. get built. One of the executives said something that astonished me. He said, "We we can't give them that level of control. They're not smart enough." Well, that's sad. It really is. And I sat back in my chair, and and the first reaction I had, and I literally said this to this person. I, I said, if they're not that smart enough, why are they why'd here? You, why yeah, why did you hire them? them? You know? Yeah. And he he said, well, they're smart, but they need to be managed. And my retort to that was, I don't think you are aware of how good these people can be because they have never been self-managed. Yeah. You have only seen the I'm responding to orders side of these people. You've never seen them empowered. So, so I want to I want to sort of take up for their side for a second, please. Um, and I and I'm not doing this to, like I don't disagree with anything you're saying, but I, I it kind of sparked this idea in my head. It, it makes sense to me that that manager would be resistant. Yeah, me too. Um, because that's all they've ever known, and that's so right. from a common sense standpoint, they stick with what they know. Absolutely. Right? That the, they know because Frederick Taylor taught us how to make people do stuff. <laughs> and that's what they want to do because that's how they got to where they are. It's yep. it got them to that position. So um, there's this this thing I have in a presentation I used to do where I talk about agile and and I feel sometimes when you get somebody like that from that traditional background, it's like you're trying to explain what apples taste like to somebody who's never eaten anything but an orange. 
Huh. And when you come at them with logic, it doesn't work because they don't, they can't see. Well, there's, no, there's no reference point. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I have that now when I'm teaching people who have never worked in waterfall and I'm trying to teach them what agile is a solution for. And they're like, I don't understand. Why would anyone do that? Like, why would anyone work in, in that old way? And I'm like, cause that's what we all did. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, to even get more to the common sense point, I think that, you know, with the people we work with, Dave, the people that we have in our classes and so forth, one of the things we have to kind of help them understand is empathy for those managers who are yeah. in that situation, right? Because empathy and patience. Oh, patience, totally. But let, let's let's paint the picture. All right. So empathy for those managers. And, and maybe some people listening are like, empathy for them? Why? Well, because we need them, believe it or not. So here's here's the part. Uh, they became managers and were promoted to those positions because in the old game, the non-agile game, the waterfall game, the command and control game, they excelled by the rules of that game. They didn't make up the rules. They learned them and learned how to excel in that environment. Okay. So therefore they learned how to control, how to command, how to delegate, how to, how to be that person. Well, imagine you've been in that position for a decade or more. And now here comes this thing, agile and scrum. Yeah, it's scary. And, and yeah, and suddenly we're, we're saying to them, and we have some gall for saying this, to be honest with you, we're saying to them, hey, everything that made you successful for the last 10, 15, 20 years, I need you to forget that now yeah. and do something completely different, right? <laughs> Just and, change how would you, Yeah, how would you, exactly, right? How would you feel as that manager? Let's, let's build a little empathy here because guess what? They have mortgages, they have car payments, they have kids in school that they're funding. And I would be a little nervous. I think I would resist it too. So- we have to figure out a way to help them see the value and, and how they can look good in this model. And unfortunately, we have to go even higher than them because what ends up happening in these companies is, yeah, middle management, okay, let, let's we're letting Agile and Scrum happen, but senior management still expecting middle management to provide them the same kind of reports and structure that they had under other ways of yeah. doing business. So they're in kind of a no-win situation. So we need to develop a lot of empathy and patience, absolutely. I think that's a really good example of the common sense thing. Like if you completely switch the way you work, it doesn't make sense that you would ask people to provide the same kinds of reports, yep. but that's what we're doing. Yep. Um, yep. It's an underserved community. I mean, think about it. What we The work we do, Dave, we serve those who report into middle management, Yeah. right? Yeah. We're not serving middle management. We're not serving executive management with most of the work we do. We're just hoping that it's going to sort of stick by osmosis. Yeah. It's an underserved group. And I guess there's a part of me that can understand why you'd want to have people organized by component because theoretically they can help mentor each other. They can grow together. If I'm a manager, I can understand enough about their business or what they do to help them. Um, but it's it you know when you explain why people became managers, I always feel like people become managers, especially on the development side, largely because they become so skilled at their craft they're unsafe around the code. Like they're really good, and then all of a sudden, every time they touch something, it breaks. So we promote them because um, we need their brain, but we don't want them in the kitchen anymore. Wow, I can you know as you said that I thought of one individual I worked with in the past <laughs> kind of fits that that mold. Yeah. 
so um, it's not out of the realm of possibility for sure yeah i mean it it, it happens and it's it's they're removed enough, like you said, from the actual doing that it becomes harder and harder for them to, to guide the people who are doing it. And that's where we get to the place where we want to let them kind of be in charge of themselves. There, there was another example that dovetails into this. I was, I was teaching a private class and we were talking about how one team's estimates really can't be compared to another team's estimates because it's all based on their perception of the work. Right. And one of the students said, well, you know, we've got a manager who used to be a developer and now he's the development manager and he's constantly criticizing the estimates that teams are giving where, where the team says, this is an eight point story. And the manager's like eight points. I could do that in a half hour. You I'll code me? it myself. Get the exactly, punch cards. Right? So, <laughs> I'm just picturing like Arnold Schwarzenegger flexing. I'll code it myself. Yeah. And the common sense example that I gave in the class was, well, okay, I understand that, but maybe take this back to your manager. Um, imagine, if you will, that this manager was Michael Jordan and the story being sized was slam dunk a basketball. And the one who's going to have to do it is Eric Tucker, who is five foot eight, 40 pounds overweight from COVID. And I'm out of breath when I go get the mail. Are you blaming right? it on COVID? <laughs> <laughs> yes. And I'm sticking right, to that all story. Right, it's, all right. it's COVID fat, Dave. It's yep. COVID fat. All right. So, but I have to do the work, right? So Michael Jordan's going to size that story to slam dunk a basketball as a one. He could do it in three seconds, right? But I'm the one that's got to do it. So it's yeah. at least a 55, if not more. So she, she kind of saw that, but that's, that's what I mean. Common sense. Let's bring things down to a level that people can relate to and understand and go, oh, okay. Now I get it. So there's a, a, a line I want to try to see in, in all of this. Um, we introduce something like Scrum into an organization, and there's going to be a contingent of people who are like, we have to follow the rules. And I would say, I always say, like, you need to be disciplined in your practice first, then modify it later. But if we were to just take a common sense approach and look at every one of these things, it's easy to easy for me to see how you would feel the need to inspect or to adapt before you you know, even do any of it. Like if you said to me, the best way to help the team be more efficient is to have more meetings every two weeks than you would have in waterfall. I would probably tell you that doesn't make sense, hmm. but it does my, for us. My, if the meetings yeah. are run in an efficient way. Well, that that's one way. Yeah. Certainly we want the, we want a dedicated scrum master to facilitate the heck out of those meetings and make them go fast and be valuable. But the common sense aspect of this is, okay, well, how many wasted meetings do we have on the calendar besides those scrum events? Yeah. How many of those other meetings are out there that are really meant to be replaced by the scrum events? Well, common sense, you know, we let, if, we, if we jettison those from our calendars, how much less time are we spending in meetings? Yeah. Well, maybe less. I mean, I don't know. I guess to me, if you think about the fact that in a two week cycle, every individual on the development team is going to lose 18 hours for Scrum meetings if we just follow what's in the Scrum guide. Well, well that's including, you're, you're including the 10% for refinement. No, you're, you're in, a two week cycle, in a two yeah. week cycle, it would be 18 hours. Well, and that's, but that's you're making the assumption there that, okay, we're going to divide the one month time box by two. Yes. So sprint planning is still going to last four hours, but yeah. But if you have good facilitation, sprint planning can be done in Could maybe be quicker. A couple of hours. 
years, yeah, right? It could be quicker. But 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 the the common sense there is as we practice it, we get better at it. Yeah. Right. In, in when I first get my driver's license, I'm not going to go driving in New York City. I'm going to get used to the back roads. I'm going to get used to rural areas first, and then I'm going to go drive in New York City. Right. So practice gets us better at those meetings. We're going to get more value from them, and then we'll find ways to efficiently trim the wasted time and get yeah. right to it. So I guess what I'm trying to get to is um, there's some things that I think it would be harmful to just modify, like for all the teams who decide, well, we don't need to do a daily scrum because the work we bring in takes so many days. We just say the same thing every day. Like somebody could make an argument that that doesn't make sense to have a daily scrum every day. And I can, sure. and I can see the logic behind it, but there's a difference between that and like, you know, the, the version of, oh, the highway is completely jammed up with cars. Let's push more cars onto it. Obviously, that doesn't make sense, but that's right. what we do with our backlogs anyway. And How do you know when the rule is one that is the right one to break and when it's not? Well, again, I think it gets down to when you when you first do Scrum, try to do it by the book so that you can, not, not so that you know you're doing it right, but so that you're getting value from everything in there. Okay. When you said the thing about daily Scrum, we're always saying the same thing. I see that as, okay, there's that indicates a problem somewhere. Right. And to me, the problem is, okay, we're not being granular enough with our tasks, meaning we don't have our tasks broken down so that they can, so that a task can be completed in a day or a half a day. So yeah. therefore I don't have anything new to report. I'm still working on the same task. Uh, I could look at that and say two things. Number one, break your tasks down further in collaboration with the team so that right. you can identify areas to collaborate, maybe reshare code that other people wrote in another time. Or the other side of that is if for three consecutive days, I'm talking about the same task. Well, now your scrum master may sniff an impediment there somewhere. Right. If that task should have been done much sooner, you know, that that might be an indicator that something's wrong. So all of that, though, points back to, in my opinion, sprint planning. And this okay. is another one of those big common sense problems that I've seen. I can't tell you how many times boots on the ground. I've seen this happen in companies where uh, first we'll skip the sprint goal. Who needs that? Uh, then we'll just pull in a bunch of PBIs and finish the what part of sprint planning. And then all the developers disappear like cockroaches back to their cubicles and type in their tasks in JIRA or something uh, for, for each of those PBIs they're going to work on. And the way the Scrum Guide talks about it and the way I've seen it most effective is, yeah, let's swarm. Let's get six, seven people on this development team and we'll swarm together on each PBI and identify as many subtasks as we can. Right. Common right. sense, right? Common sense. Seven pairs of eyes looking at the same PBI. Are you less likely to miss details? Are you more likely to get to uh, you know really solid decomposed tasks where it's granular? It's really okay. granular, and and now you have a, a lot of very specific things, and you're also really getting into understanding what your teammates are doing and what they're working on and how they think about things. That that how part of sprint planning, I can't tell you how many times I've seen that just glossed over, and that's a huge advantage, and it, it fuels the daily scrum. As well, and and they should probably be doing that before they commit to what they're going to do in this sprint too. Well, I'm not sure about that. Oh, uh, really? Let, okay. Let's debate that. Let's debate that. Um, because here's the thing. I, I think, well, one of the things that you're you're always going to do is you're going to look at your empirical data in terms of you know how much whether you're counting stories if they're all similar sized or PBIs if they're all similar sized 
or if you're doing story pointing, you're going to look at the velocity of your previous sprint and then try to you know come as close to that without going over as possible. Okay. Uh, so I think that's your barometer. But once you so that's your what? Let's say you pull in five PBIs, but now you start breaking them out. You might find okay, well we've gotten through the first three and we've identified a ton of tasks that we're going to be doing, and now we're not so sure we can do all all five. Maybe we put the other two back. I think right. the yeah. So I, I, is that what you were saying? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, saying, we're saying the same thing. Okay, perfect. Totally agree okay. on that. Okay. Excellent. So what is one really big common sense thing that you keep seeing people miss? Multitasking. Okay. Oh my goodness. Uh, uh, I, how many times have I gotten this question? Uh, Eric, um, can a scrum master also be a developer? Uh, can, a, can a scrum master be a scrum master for three or four teams? Uh, can a developer be on two or three or four different development teams? And, you know, thanks, Ken and Jeff, for opening the door on this in the last scrum guide with that <laughs> crap you put in there about the daily scrum. But anyway, um, you know, my, my feeling has always been no. Uh, the best results are going to be the ones where you focus. Yeah. Um, and I think that there's a, there's a game that maybe we, if you have show notes for this day, we can share the link to it. It's a, it's a, a multitasking game. Uh, I think the site is called ProChain, where you go through a maze three times. The first time you're focused on one, dragging one thing through a maze. The second time you're focused on dragging another thing through a maze. And then on your third attempt, it makes you kind of do both at the same time, but you can't drag both at the same time. You have to drag them individually. It makes you multitask. Okay. And, and what you're, what you'll find is that it takes you three times longer to do the same thing when you're doing more than one thing at the, at a time. Yeah. And there's, um, there's been a lot of studies on this. I was, I was delivering a class for a pharmaceutical company and I told them this, and I actually also told them that studies are starting to show multitasking causes ADD. And it was funny because there were 26 people in this class. They all start laughing. What are you guys laughing about? Oh, well, yeah, we're in clinical trials right now for an anti-ADD drug. And our studies are telling us the exact same thing, that the brain is being rewired by people who multitask, causing attention deficit disorder. Not only is it unhealthy for you, but the, the reason that I've found, and this is back to common sense, that people are asked to multitask is... Because we don't have, and I'm throwing up air quotes now for those who can't see, we don't have enough resources to allow them to focus. If we allowed everyone to focus on just being on one team and doing one job, we wouldn't have enough people. Well, if you put the lens (laughs) of common sense on this, right, first of all, (laughs) when you let someone focus and not put a developer on three different teams, the statistics show conclusively that this person is going to get three times more done in the same amount of time and the quality is going to be better. And that person is going to feel better. Therefore they're not going to leave. And what's the cost of someone leaving a company, right? Not just in dollars, but in sub-optimization, right? And the irony here is, whereas leadership says we don't have enough resources to let people focus, what they don't realize is the exact opposite is true. What the problem is, is not that you don't have have enough people. It's that you have too many projects in flight at the same time. You as leaders have failed to prioritize your work and stick to your guns. That that is the thing that I am coming back to in every conversation I have lately. I'm starting to feel like 
the answer to every problem starts with clarity and priority from above. Yep. Absolutely. If they don't understand it and they don't communicate it, none of us know which direction we're going in and we all end up running in circles. Yep. So I can tell you from my past, I've lived this um, and, and the results spoke for themselves. We had a calendar year where literally there were, I want to say eight to 10 teams no, it was more than that. It was like 20 teams, but there was only enough people for eight teams, but they were spread across 20 teams. And the company had some ungodly number of projects in flight at once, and the priorities would shift on a daily basis. Right. And the, the number of projects, I think, was close to 100. It was 90-something. And that's how many projects were being cycled through 20 teams from not just a sprint-to-sprint basis, but from a daily basis. In that calendar year, Dave, guess how many projects they finished? One. Zero. Zero. I was Zero. close. You were close. Now, the next calendar year, um, based on my advice after doing a lot of thumping, uh, I said, okay, we're going to take these people and we're going to organize just enough teams to fit the number of people we have. And that's the only team they're going to work on. And now you, leadership, we're going to go through an exercise where you prioritize your top 20 projects. Okay. Talk about arguments. Holy moly. So lots and lots of arguments took us days, even weeks, I think, to get to a point where we had 20 priority, 20 projects in priority or force ranked. We created vision statements for the top eight, because that's how many teams we were able to have of full-time people, eight teams. Okay. We let those teams pick the projects they wanted to work on. And then they went off and running. And we kept that model. As soon as one team finished one project, we kept the team together and gave them another project and they got to pick, right? So if, if, if team number one finished first, okay, we're going to grab project number nine. If team number two finished their work, they'd grab project number 10 and they'd pull the work toward them. In calendar year number two, how many projects do you think they finished? 20. 36. That's good. 36. So they went from zero projects finished to 36 finished and with superior quality and a whole bunch of happy people. So did at that point, did management take the lesson or were they, they still, okay. That's they, work that, they still work that way to this day. That's great. Yeah. I so, mean, it's a great example of it. But I'll tell you, I had the other part of this, we had doubters and we have, we had saboteurs. So I always had to be on the lookout for yeah. the saboteurs who were trying to make me wrong in, in my suppositions, but it just makes too much sense. When you well, let people focus, they do a good job. I, I as a former saboteur, um, <laughs> which I was, I told, and I mean, I'm, I hated agile. I didn't want anything to do with it. I spent a lot of time explaining why it wasn't going to work. And the rest of the time, making sure that it couldn't work because I believed in the other system. Mm -hmm. So they're probably not setting out with malice in their hearts. They're setting no. out with the best of intentions yep. to prove to you that you're flawed and your ideas yep. don't make, don't work and don't make sense. Well, also, you know, when you're a coach going into a company and you, 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 you're the new guy, you're the newcomer into the system and they've been there for, you know, some, in some cases, decades, yeah. who is this new guy telling me how to do my job? And you know what? I don't blame them for feeling that way. Yeah. That's got to feel pretty crappy. And right? why so do the executives another, listen to you instead of the person who's been there? To, yeah. And that's going to make them feel even worse as yeah. people. So naturally there's going to be some blowback and, I think we have to be aware of that and we have to be empathetic to it. 
And the best approach is to go right to those people and try to make friends with them and try to help them understand that you're there for everybody in the company and them included. Yeah. It's weird, even though it is common sense, the idea of starting less things and fin actually finishing them. I mean, there's a very strong pull to the idea of starting everything at once. Yep. Right? It makes you feel busy, makes you feel active. But I guess so along with being open about what common sense is, you have to be willing to acknowledge the fact that you're being pulled not by, not for honest reasons. Yeah. You know? I think our society is full of examples of that too. I just, uh, I was at the uh, Tampa Bay Buccaneers game on Monday night and I was astounded as I was walking into the stadium, right? Crowds of people everywhere. I'm walking into the stadium and there are people walking on the sidewalks with their faces buried in their cell phones. And there's thousands of people. How many collisions is that going to cause, right? <laughs> and and that's but that's an example of multitasking. I I feel compelled because there's so many things attracting my attention, and I don't want to right. miss out on anything. And I think in a lot of ways we're overloaded by the stimuli in our in our society. Oh today. yeah, absolutely. Just one little example. Yeah. Cool. So if people want to check out the talk, like what's the best way to, to track that down? Oh, good question. Um, I actually have it up on YouTube. Uh, okay. I can give you a link to that. You can throw it in the show notes if you want to. Um, but yeah, it just, it gets a little more into the, the common sense aspect of, you know, why, why the scrum events uh, are the way they are and what benefit we can get out of them and, and, and why wouldn't you want to do them the way that they're prescribed? So let me, let me ask you this question again, because I don't know if we actually got resolution on it if i'm i'm new to scrum mm -hmm. how do i really understand where the common sense thing to do is like wh what action to take okay so one of the things that i have seen so prevalently and i think you have as well is companies that are going to adopt this they take the approach of okay how do we change scrum to fit us right right that I don't think I've ever seen it not start that way. How do we change Scrum to fit us? Because changing us is going to be way too painful, way too costly, and take way too long. So let's change Scrum. Let's just cherry pick out of it what we need. Yeah. How do I know what to do? Well, do it the way the Scrum guide outlines. As much as okay. just just start there, right? This is the purpose of this particular event. Your sprint is a fixed length period of time. Don't don't flex it. Don't make it two weeks one sprint, three weeks the next sprint. Because there's a reason it's supposed to be two, you know the same duration every time. It builds predictability. It builds good habits. It builds a cadence. Uh, your your events can now be recurring events. They happen at the same exact time every time. If your sprints are always the same duration, common sense. Okay. Um, sprint planning, do it the way they suggest, create a goal, decide what's coming in, break it down to its smallest possible components and do it as a team. Don't do it in pockets. Um, your daily scrum, make it quick, make it short. Don't try to solve problems in the meeting. Let's let, what did we learn before? What are we going to do today? And what's in my way? Okay, uh, okay. The sprint review, right? Your stakeholders, your stakeholders, folks are not just the managers in your company. Okay. Um, so many companies are afraid to invite outside attendees like customers and people who are going to actually use what you're building because we're afraid of looking incomplete. We're afraid of looking flawed. Well, your, your customers know that what you're building is a work in process. 
their feedback is going to be instrumental in helping you get where you need to go. It's it, you can only, should I go into the car example to make this more clear? Dave? Sure. Just, okay. So um, when my daughter who was now 17, when she was eight years old, I made her a deal that I would, if she got no grade lower than a B between the time that she was eight and the time she's old enough to buy a car, I would buy her a car. And Unfortunately, she kept her end of the deal, so I had to go buy her a car. So here we are off to the dealership. And Dave, in this transaction that's about to occur, who's the customer? You're the customer. Exactly, because I'm the one paying for the car. Now, what do you think I cared about, Dave? Your daughter's safety and her and the cost. And her yeah. happiness too. But happiness would probably be third after cost. Heck with her happiness. And no, probably no. safety, then cost, then happiness. Safety, cost, and happiness. Uh, let's just go safety and cost, right? All right. So, <laughs> <laughs> safety, cost, not complaining. Safety, cost, and her running my errands for me forever. There you go. There um, you go. Okay. But safety and cost, certainly, right? Now, sh- who's the user in this scenario? She is. Okay. And what does she care about? She wants a good, she wants a cool car to impress her she friends. Wants the, it's got to look cool. It's got to have the right color. The stereo's got to blast, all that stuff. So, we have very different interests. Now, who's the business in this scenario? The car dealership. And what do they care about? Money. Yeah. They, but money in a different way than I care about it. They want maximum profit and revenue. I want to pay little as possible for best car. But they also have a balance there because they want me back as a repeat customer. So they know they can't gouge me. They've got to give me a fair price and still make a fair profit. So we have competing interests here, these three groups. Now, inviting just your managers to a, to a sprint review is the equivalent of inviting just the dealership in this case. Okay. And think of all the perspective you're going to miss that you could have gotten from the customer and the user that would have helped you make a better darn product, right? One that actually could, could generate significant revenue in the market. Yeah. So that's the common sense aspect. Get over the fear of of worrying about not having something complete and worrying about, you know, doing the wrong thing because Dave, wouldn't you agree if I'm doing the wrong thing, it would be better to know that early. It would, but I I can also see where a lot of companies would be afraid of exposing failure or mistakes or whatever to to outsiders. Get over it. (laughs) Nobody's perfect. And, and if you expect that you're going to be perfect, and if you set that expectation with your customers, yeah, then you're going to have a problem. Well, and that goes back to common sense too. Nobody is perfect. That's right. How about we just be open about it and build what matters to them? You know, but we can't know what matters to them unless we ask them. Yeah. And then, of you course, know, the retrospective. How many times are we going to skip the retrospective? Well, you know. We don't have time. Quite. We got stuff to do. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the common sense there is you're doing too much. Slow down because what you're doing is probably rushed and therefore it's going to be full of bugs and tech debt. Uh, how about we just take a minute to reflect on what's working and what's not working in our process and make fixes happen? Yeah. So it's what I would say to somebody doing this for the first time, do it by the book because there's reasons. Scrum is 25 years old. What you see in the Scrum Guide now is through all kinds of iterations and experiments and gathering of knowledge. This thing's rock solid, man. It's a great framework. Well, and it is meant to be adapted, but if you don't know why you're adapting, then that's a problem too. And I think a lot of the stuff um, that that people are reacting against, that the practices are trying to maintain from the old way of working, they were put in place to solve problems we had 10, 20, 40, 100 years ago, and it's just that they're habit. So yeah. 
It's also common sense. Like you said, you know, be patient, have empathy. It's common sense that it's going to take a while to change those habits. It's not going to Absolutely. just be like flipping a switch. Yep. And, and while I'm, like I said, all I'm trying to do is raise awareness as to why, right? Because okay. you understand the why and you understand that there are reasons and that there are benefits for you, even if you're resisting to it. Yeah. Maybe you're setting yourself up for, okay, maybe a little spoon feed of this. I, I don't need you to, to put the, the, the spatula in your mouth. I just want you to take a little taste. Yeah. All right, cool. What if they want to get in touch with you? They watch your video, they're like, oh my gosh, I need Eric to come to my company and talk to us. (laughs) No one's going to want to after they hear this. Um, (laughs) (laughs) They will Uh, until they find out you're a Patriots fan and then it's all over. Yeah, well, (laughs) they're back in first place. The universe (laughs) makes sense again. Um, Yeah, so they can get me at sustainedagility.com. Just like it sounds. And I'm also etucker at sustainedagility.com. Uh, happy to debate and discuss any of these topics. And, you know, I'm open-minded. If people have an alternative point of view that they want to try and convince me I'm wrong, to bring it on. I'm happy to hear it. Cool. All right. Well, thanks, man. This was great. I appreciate your time. Mine, yours as well. Thank you, Dave. If you learn to work the old way, but the new way is what you need. My job to make that switch.